Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 through 17. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and is so justified, and one confesses with the mouth and is so saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, First Prez. It's great to be in your home sharing God's word with you today. And today we come now to the second part of this two-part conversation that we started last week about the urgency and the necessity of evangelism based on Romans 10. And if you were with us, we said that Paul's urgency for sharing the gospel was driven by compassion and concern for his people's rejection of Jesus Messiah. And yet, despite their rejection of Jesus Messiah, two things will never change. And I just love that about our Lord and Savior, that even though the world could be rocking and reeling and all kinds of things are going on in the world, there are some things about Jesus that are immutable. Yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews says, Jesus remains the same. There are two things that will never change that the gospel is God's message of salvation for Jew and Gentile. That's never going to change. The rejection of the Messiah does not in any way invalidate God's plan to redeem Israel. And next Sunday, Lord's willing, we will read Romans 11, and you will see that very clearly, that even though God's people have rejected him, God's plan to redeem will never change. So the overriding thought that I want you to hear this morning is that God calls and sends people like you and me to share this good news. And I know just saying that, that God is calling you and me to share this good news, that it may provoke within you, if it hasn't already, a sense of fear and a sense of guilt. It puts you in that weird space of fear or guilt, and that's not my goal. That's not my intention. I want to use the rest of my time with you to share how Romans 10 helps us to overcome that fear or that guilt, that reluctance to speak the gospel to others. Today's reading gives insight into, into three areas. Others, 
insight into who Christ is, and insight into ourselves. And so one place to begin, instead of focusing on our fear and focusing on our guilt, is to begin by thinking about other people and what they're going through. Or you could even think about where you were before Christ found you. Think about the people who shared Christ with you, whether you were a child or an adult or a teenager. People are searching for answers to the question, how do I change my life? And despite the barrage of articles that seem to celebrate the death of the organized church, despite all these articles that gleefully tell of how young people are leaving the church, here is what the articles don't talk about, that people are still yearning, seeking for a deeper, more connected life to ultimate things, things that matter. People are asking the question, where do I go? How do I find peace and forgiveness? How do I find love and acceptance? How do I unburden my troubled soul? How do, how do I recover from the failures and the pain of my past? Those things don't change. People are asking those questions. How do I change my life? You know, yesterday I had an opportunity to be with a friend of mine, somebody that I've known since moving to this area in, in 2009. And we had, a, we had a great time together talking and sharing, and he was very open with me. And by the way, this brother is Jewish, and he was very open with me about the difficulties and the burdens that he's carrying as a father of three children, the difficulties that he's having in his marriage, the difficulties he's having in his life. Those are the things people are struggling with. And in that moment, I couldn't be thinking about myself. I went there with him, and we talked about what's happening in his life. Now, the question of how do I change my life, the question of what do I do about my life, you have two options. One is to say, well, it's up to me. I must do it. I must change my life. I must do everything I can to find my best life. And I think, and again, I may be reading too much into what Paul says in Romans chapter, five, chapter 10 and verse 5. He describes righteousness based on the law. The problem is, adhering to the law as a pathway to righteousness is still going to be frustrating because of our human incapability, the incapability of human beings to perfectly keep the law. So the problem, though, is not with the law. Don't get me wrong. The law is good. But it's our weaknesses, it's our struggles that prevent us from perfectly following the law. And the reason why I say that is you have to keep the law perfectly if you are going to experience the peace and the righteousness of God. And so far, everyone's batting zero. They're striking out. The other option, though, is faith. So I could try to do it by myself or I can put my faith in God. And I know when I say that, some of you are snickering at that thought because you say, well, I need something more concrete. I can't see God. And I know faith in God, there is a mystery. There's an element of mystery to it. We don't always know how God changes a person's, person's life. We don't know how God does it. But somehow we know that God encounters people in their pain. And if they're willing to put their trust in God, their life will be changed. And this is what Paul calls righteousness that comes from faith. And you see that in verse 6. So righteousness based on human effort 
or righteousness that comes from faith in God? And the question is, we all have to ask ourselves, do I believe that God has the power to change me? And as I was talking to my friend yesterday, we talked a little bit about Jesus being a Jew. And we discussed that for a moment. Now, he didn't bend the knee and say, oh, I want to become a Christian. But my point is, starting with his needs, talking about where life is, led us into a conversation about the ability of Jesus to make a difference in his life, in your life, in my life. So that's the question. How do I change my life? And are people willing then to believe that God has the power to change us? Or do I continue depending on my efforts to change me? Another place to begin, so you begin with others. You begin to focus on what's going on in people's lives and you join them in that conversation about where they are. Another way to, to, to approach this as you deal with the fear or the guilt or the reluctance to share the gospel is to consider the question, who do I trust? And you see that in verses 9 and 10. And I'm, again, I'm kind of reading into what I think Paul is saying here because people are looking for something or someone who brings consistency and reliability and stability, someone or something in whom or with, with whom we can anchor our lives. But there's just one big problem. Is there anything? Is there anyone in this world that is reliable, that is stable, that is consistent? And of course, if you're being honest, the answer is no. People will fail us. The economy is failing us. Our jobs will fail us. Our health will fail us. The government will fail us. That's just the nature of, this, of things. This is a broken world in which we live. In fact, I was talking with the staff earlier this week, and we were talking about what it means to live in what many are now calling a VUCA world. And you see that on your screen. A VUCA world is a world that is volatile. It is a world that is under a, a state of uncertainty. It's a world that is complex. It is a world that is ambiguous, a VUCA world. And that's what we're living in right now in light of the, the coronavirus pandemic. Paul says, though, there is someone you can trust. You can trust in the work of Jesus, and you can trust in the person of Jesus. And the scriptures are clear about the person of Jesus. Paul wants people to confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. And in the Greek Old Testament, the word Lord was translated, is the translation for Yahweh, God's personal name. And so to confess Jesus as Lord is to confess him as the supreme deity, the supreme authority over the world, over our lives, over all earthly rulers. That's the person of Jesus. He's Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then to trust in the work of Jesus. And the goal here is to help people confess and believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead. In other words, I'm asking my friend, if we have another chance to talk, and as I've done many, many times, is to ask people to believe in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. The reason why I do that, because I want people not just to believe. You know, we say, oh, just have faith. You know, just, just cheer up. Everything is going to be better. No, we don't want that kind of that kind of uh, imprecise belief. We want people to believe in a person and in the work that God has done. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to put the weight of our lives and all the difficulties that we're having, having put the weight of our lives on the sturdiness 
of the person of Jesus and on the work of Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is saying when he says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. And you see, confessing and believing are two sides of the same coin of faith. And if we fail to do that, then what we're going to be relying on is these altar calls where we have people say a few words and we assume by just saying these magic words that something will happen. But we're going deeper than that. When we confess with our mouths, when we believe with our hearts, we're literally believing with ourselves. We're taking ourselves and we're entrusting our lives uh, to Jesus Christ. Now, knowing that whoever calls on the Lord will be saved and they will never be put to shame takes the pressure off. So when I was talking with my friend yesterday, I didn't feel any pressure whatsoever because I I don't have any power to save him. I can't change all the difficulties going on in his life. No, I can't do that. But I know someone who can. And that's why I just shared who Christ is with him. Jesus has the power to win people, to change lives. So the final place that we can begin then, we can can use as we think about sharing Christ, as we seek to overcome the guilt or or the fear or the shame or the reluctance, is not only to ask, how do I change my life? And we think about others. It's not only to ask, who can I trust? But then we can also ask the question, what's my role? Because so often when we think about our role, it enables us to overcome that fear and that hesitancy and that reluctance. You see, you have a role to play. Not the angels, not just the pastors or the staff. You, the members and the brothers and sisters who make up this great congregation, you have a role. And if anyone, Jesus says, if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Then it means then for those people to be saved, for those people to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, it means that you and I have a role to play in what some people call the evangelism chain. And you'll see that in verses 14 and 15. Let me, let me, let me, let's have us look at this in, in, in several different ways. For example, Paul says, here are the questions he's asking. How can anyone call on someone in whom they don't believe? So there it is. We, we share the gospel, we evangelize and share the gospel because we know there are people who are yet to believe. How are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? Well, we evangelize and we share the gospel because we know that there are people who have never heard of Jesus. That's our role. How are they to hear without someone proclaiming and sharing him? We evangelize and we share the gospel through human beings, flesh and bone, human beings. How do they proclaim unless someone sends them? We evangelize, we share the gospel because we believe that just as God sent Jesus and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit sends the church, God is sending us to share this love and this message. He's calling you and me into this ministry. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet, the human feet. Now, I don't want you to see my feet. My feet aren't necessarily that beautiful. And I don't think the, the literalness of this test, test of this text is asking us to consider human feet. I think what it is saying is, how beautiful is the messenger? And you can picture in those days, they didn't have the internet and texting and all the electronic means that we use for communicating. 
And so the message was sent literally through human beings. And you picture this person running over every hill and valley. And if they ran out of breath, they would pass it on to the next runner who would continue to run onto the next runner until that final runner shows up in that city, shows up before somebody who is waiting for that message, and they bring the good news to that person. And I think the essence of what Paul is talking about is right here. Your role as a messenger is to run with that message and share it. Now, if we were to take those six verbs that, those six verbs that Paul mentions, but look at them in reverse. We went from the top to the bottom. What if we took it from the bottom to the top where Christ sends the runner, the messenger, the runner or the messenger delivers the message, the people hear the good news of the message, and they believe, and by believing they call, and by calling they're saved. That's our role. Christ sends us to fulfill that role. But there's another way of looking at this. And you see the logic of why you and I are so important in sharing the gospel. Let's say we were to take Paul's words in a negative way. A negative way. You still hear how important our role is. Unless some people are commissioned for the task, there will be no gospel sharers. So if no one shares the gospel, no one is hearing the message. Unless the gospel is shared, people will not hear Christ's message and voice. Unless they hear him, they will not believe the truths of his death and his resurrection. Unless they believe these truths, they will not call on him. And unless they call on his name, they will not be saved. We have a role to play. If we don't play that role, people will not be saved. It begins with you, the messenger. Now, even saying that, Paul admits in verse 16 that yet, after all of that, the beautiful running, the messenger, the sharing, he still says, yet not all Israelites accept the good news. Not all Israel is saved. And in some sense, we need to hear that. Because when we share the gospel, when we bring the good news to others, some will accept it and others will reject it. And despite people's rejection of Jesus, Paul says, don't stop. Don't stop evangelizing. Don't stop sharing. Don't stop bringing the good news to others. Because in doing that, some will hear and believe. Now let me wrap up by just talking a little bit about the barriers that stand in the way. There were roadblocks, there were barriers in the Greco-Roman world. They had multiple gods and goddesses. When the Greeks heard the message, they said it was foolishness because for them the gods would never condescend to even, to even be around sinful people like us, polluted people like us. The gods would never die for human beings. For the Jews, Paul says, it was scandalous. Why? Why would the Messiah show weakness by dying on the cross? If the Messiah is the supreme rule of the world, you're telling me that the Messiah that I need to trust in is the one hanging on the cross? That is scandalous. I can't believe it. So those were the barriers. But we also have our own barriers in our time, in our culture. I call them these cultural myths that prevent us from sharing the gospel joyfully and freely. For example, one of the cultural myths is the statement that all religions lead to God. Another one is universalism, that in the end everyone's going to be saved, so pastor, what's the big deal? 
Sincerity is all that's needed. If everyone is sincere, somehow they're going to get to God. There is no absolute truth, pastor, so stop particularizing about Jesus. By the way, pastor, did you know that when you share the gospel, you're going to offend people? And since we as a culture, we never want to offend people, let's zip it. Let's not share the gospel because, you know, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. The other one that stands as a barrier is the idea that America is already a Christian nation. So, you know, let's just uh, all be nice. There's no need to talk about Jesus because America is a Christian nation. Another barrier that stands in the way is the statement that God is already inside of every person. So you're not telling me anything new. I already have God inside of me. Thank you very much. You go with your Jesus somewhere else. God's already inside of me. Another huge one is the notion that there is no judgment, that this king is not coming back to judge the righteous and to judge the unrighteous. No, no, none of that stuff. So there's no urgency. And then the other barrier I think stands in the way, and it's, it's from many, many churches, not just mainline churches, is that we, we put our trust in our buildings, build nice buildings, run nice programs, and that'll be enough to just attract people, and they'll see how nice we are, and they will fill our pews. There is no urgency in sharing the gospel when those barriers stand in the way. But you know, Paul doesn't believe that. And he says that everyone, he says that in verse 13, for everyone, Jew or Gentile, religious or irreligious, good or bad, everyone who calls on the name will be saved. And so Paul went forward despite the scandal of the gospel, despite the foolishness of the gospel, despite the the trust that people had in all kinds of gods and idols, Paul kept saying, here is Jesus. Here's the Messiah. Put your trust in him. Now, I know what many of you are already asking, if you haven't said it already, but pastor, I've never really shared the gospel before. I've never really talked to anyone about Jesus before. Is there a formula? Is there a method that works? And I have to tell you, no, there is no one set formula. There is no one set method that works. But here's one thing I do know that you can start doing right now today. You can start doing this today is to ask God to give you desire to see people come to know the Savior. Desire. This is even before you talk to anyone. You just have this desire to see your loved ones come to know Christ. You can begin to pray for your loved ones to know Christ. And again, you can pray. I'm praying for my friends. I'm praying for my relatives. They don't even know I'm doing that. I'm praying that they might come to know the Lord. And then be a real friend to people. Be real. That's what people respect the most is when you are a real and authentic friend with them. And then the other thing you can do is you can tell your story of how God has helped you in your life. And, you know, we already do that. Very often when I go to a really good restaurant, I'm immediately texting my kids or I'm texting someone I know. And I said, I just visited this restaurant, great Jamaican food or great whatever kind of food. And I think you should check it out. I'm being a human ad for that restaurant and they're not paying me. When I first came to Evanston back in 2009, I didn't have a dentist. I didn't have a doctor. And I went around to a few of you and you told me, I go to this doctor, check him out. And I'm still with the same doctor that some of you recommended to me. I'm still with the same dentist that some of you recommended to me. We gladly tell others 
about the goods and the services that are working in our lives, but when it comes to Jesus, why don't we do the same? He's just as wonderful. He's even more wonderful than any movie, any restaurant, any doctor, any dentist. He's called the great physician. Tell others about him. So, do I have a formula? I don't have a formula, but I have a framework in my mind. So when I was talking to my friend yesterday, in my mind I was thinking of God and sin and Christ and faith. And, and those are just pegs on which I hang some of my thoughts as I share with people. And I don't do that on the front end. I often do that when I think the opportunity is there. I still want to talk to the person and hear the pain and the difficulties they're having. I still want to talk with the person and find out what are they trusting in. And then that's where my role comes in. And if the opportunity is there, I talk to them about God. God as a creator of the ends of the earth. God who created us for a purpose. I talk with them about sin that, that somehow through human rebellion, we've fallen away from God's creational purposes for our lives. And I talk with them about Christ, that Christ is the one then who fixes that falling away by forgiving us of our sin. And I encourage them to put their faith in Christ as the great one who is unmoved, who is king, who is Lord. Put your trust in him. I love reading Pastor Keller's works. I listen to a lot of his sermons. And he talks about sharing the gospel as a story, the storyline of the gospel and you see that on your screen also, the manger, the cross, and the king. And you just tell the story that Jesus was born in a manger. And what's the significance of that? God putting on flesh and coming into our world. To do what? To die on the cross. You tell the story of the cross, what the cross accomplished. That the cross is the, the, the pivot point where human sin was forgiven. And then you talk about Jesus as king who is reigning and will come back one day to judge the world. So that story around the manger and the cross and the king. And there's so many other methods and formulas, but that's not the important thing. Ask God to give you desire. Begin praying for people. Begin telling people your story. Because, you know, it is God who does the saving we do the praying, we do the loving, we do the caring, and some will call upon the Lord and we leave all of that to God, the process. It's all up to God. So my friends, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you just to begin by asking the Lord for desire and begin praying. Be a friend. And in that process, tell your story. And you might be amazed how God will use you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people say, Amen.